talk to women about video games. It's probably a bad idea. Thanks so much for joining us again for another episode of Talking to Women About Video Games. It's our 16th episode. I'm Jonathan. I'm joined by Tanya. That's me. <laughs> That's you. You've been on every darn episode. I'm going to and... keep coming. <laughs> I'm so happy you do. I didn't think you would. And you did. I and know. You do. I'm showing up. You're showing up. And a lot of people showed up for this episode. We have four clips to go through. A big name star who's going to lead us off in a bit around this theme for this episode of identity and how it overlaps with the concept of video games. You play wait, a video wait, wait, game. Wait. Yes. Say identity again. Identity. 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 <laughs> that sounds psychological and I know. spooky. I know. I had to throw that in there. I'm glad that you did. Identity is a interesting thing, a silly thing to think about sometimes, a fun thing, a scary thing. It's so many things, and it overlaps with video games in a lot of ways because almost every video game these days, other than puzzle games and a few other exceptions, you're playing as somebody else. And that's got to affect how you feel about yourself to put yourself in somebody else's shoes virtually for any length of time. So it's one of the reasons I wanted to invite the guests on our show today to talk about this subject and they all come at it from really interesting perspectives. One of the interesting things I found out about the concept of identity as it overlaps with video games over the past week or so yep. is a, from a book. Oh. You wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. That was a curveball for you. Yeah, absolutely. When are you reading books? <laughs> I didn't. I read a tweet about a book. <laughs> Somebody else tweeted a page of a book and I read it and I was wowed. Satoru Uwada, who is the late president of Nintendo, since passed on, he did a series of interviews that have been bundled and turned into a book called Ask Iwata. Oh. And it is so... Fun. So fun. He was, in many ways, the father of video games and the father of the modern video game industry for a lot of people. He was a video game programmer and then became a leader in the video game business side of things. But before that, he helped get a game up and off the ground called Earthbound. Have you heard of that? No. Earthbound, a classic game created by this guy, Toei. Okay. Toei-san. Okay. He's very hard to describe. You know how Howard Stern is considered the king of all media? He's done yeah. music, he's done yeah. radio, he's done movies. Itoi he commands Song, that presence he, he bigger. for Japan? Yeah. He was originally a copywriter, but then he ended up being a judge on Iron Chef. Oh. He's the voice of the dad in My Neighbor Totoro. Oh, wow. And then he was also like, and I'll make video games, I guess. So he made... I guess. <laughs> yeah, there was uphill battle. Sounds fun. So he came at video games from a very different angle. And he worked on this game series called Mother. It's pretty much the only game series. He also did a fishing game, randomly. Hmm. Uh, but for the most part, Mother, which got translated to Earthbound, because like Mother Earth, gotcha. Earthbound for the Western audiences, has this thing about it where if you play for, I think, about two hours, you suddenly get an intrusive phone call from your dad. What? Your in-game dad who you never meet. He's an absentee dad. He calls home a lot, see how you're doing, but oh. you never actually see him. But he tells you he loves you and he sends you money. So oh if you my like, gosh. If you beat so up... this is like, welcome to your life. <laughs> a little bit. And it's a game that's resonated with a lot of people. It bombed when it went on sale in the United States in the mid-90s. I think it came out in 95. But in Japan, it blew up and stayed huge. They made three that came out in Japan and eventually two of them came out here Sorry for the wild tangent. So your dad calls you. Okay. And he says, you know, you've been playing for a while. 
maybe you should take a break. Take a break. In the game. So the game is trying to father you, parent you, and tell you, I think you should stop playing the game. The game cares more about your health than you playing the game. It is a true parenting moment. As a parent, I can tell you, you sometimes care more about your kid's health than your kid hanging out with you, with your kid even liking you. Right. And of that's course, what the game you is. You should. I, if you're a good parent, you should you. give a shit I about so. your kid's health. Yes. And this video game parent in Earthbound, this fictional dad, cares more about you than. So people are like, Nintendo really cares about me. This one game did. Oh. Iwata, who is not president of Nintendo yet, was so touched by that that he then made it so the majority of Wii games have that same message in it. You've been playing for like 45 minutes, an hour, just suddenly a screen of an open window and like a door, like leave the house kid, appears and says, why don't you take a break? And the kid is like, nah. And they're like, well, okay. <laughs> if they really gave a shit, they'd be like, we're shutting down now for 15 minutes. Well, they that would have been a real, <laughs> real business, business nightmare. Yeah, they no. did similar things to that. If there's a game, Animal Crossing, if you reset, then it screws with you for a little bit. But he in this book said the reason he inserted that fatherly stuff into the Wii, where the whole game library for a little while seemed like they're all telling you to take a break, it's because of Earthbound. Yeah. So he learned how to be a good video game dad. He took on the identity of a video game dad from what he learned in a video game. But that was so That's interesting. So sweet. It comes full circle. It, I tried to make it somewhat related to the topic at hand. And speaking of, the fusion of video games and identity and learning who to be from a video game. Oh, I'm so excited. We've got Carrie Ann Hoskins, who was Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat 3, Mortal Kombat 4. She was also in War Gods. She was in NBA, NBA Jam. Jam. Yeah. I know. What she is, is this shit? Amazing. I reached out to her and said, will you just be on my show? She didn't ask the name of the show. She, <laughs> she, she was just like, sure. I like fun. I like talking. And she killed is it. on the show. She killed yeah. it. So we're going to kick it over. See what I did there? Uh, to Carrie Ann Hoskins. Carrie Ann Hoskins, she is an artist and she was in a pre-mortal combat where she turned into a bird and tore a man apart with her claws. What a great life. So I'm here with Carrie Ann Hoskins. The one and only Sonya Blade, sure, technically there was a Sonya Blade before her and she did a fantastic job, but it was under Carrie Ann's watch that Sonya Blade became the iconic character for those who have played Mortal Kombat. You know that they skipped her in Mortal Kombat 2 and then she came back stronger than ever thanks to Carrie Ann Hoskins and thank you, Carrie Ann Hoskins, for being on the show today. How's it going? Good. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. It's a, it's a <laughs> shocker. So... Your first in-game appearance, as far as I could tell from my research, was in NBA Jam. So you were alongside Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal, who both like went on to have their own video games, and then you did too, with Mortal Kombat. And that was one of the first games that ever used real celebrities, real people, in the games through taking pictures of them on the back of a green screen. We're all used to that now with Zoom calls and whatnot, but green screen was extremely fancy, especially for video games. So being one of the first to do that you were also one of the first to have to explain to like your mom, your friends and family, maybe what you were doing with your career. How did you go about explaining to people that you were going to be you, the physically you were going to be in a video game? Well, I'll tell you what, right now, it was a lot easier to explain this to my mom 
than it was to explain her about Playboy. So um, <laughs> when the video games came around, she was like, oh, God, thank you. <laughs> so um, there's that. And then my, my siblings were actually gamers and stuff. And I was never a gamer. I would have video games and stuff at my apartment and oh. they would come over and play these video games. And I would just sit there and watch and drink. I had no desire to play them whatsoever. So when I actually became one of these characters in the games, they were like, what, what are you doing? You don't even like video games. I'm like, I do now. <laughs> so, you know. Wow. That is 30 so plus interesting. years later. <laughs> <laughs> Still a part of it. Yeah. Again, if my research served me correctly, you are a secret character that you could play in NBA Jam tournament. And from what I saw, they actually teased you as a secret character in a screenshot for the original game, but it was all a lie. And people are like trying to unlock you for like a year and they couldn't. So then they finally could in NBA Jam Tournament Edition. So you're like, I don't know if you've heard of Akuma. He's a Street Fighter character. He's like the secret boss that everyone wanted to be. You were like the Akuma of basketball. And then you were also shooting. I had all these people asking me what the code was. And I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> What a what an amazing life. <laughs> and then you shot at Aerosmith. You were like, they were shooting CDs at you. You were Mistress Helga, who was a symbol of like censorship, but also pinup girl who boys have posters of you on their wall, like worried that then, you know, the, the poster of you would get censored. It was, it's just a that was, fun that was irony. A fun game to make. Oh, yeah, I bet. A lot of fun. Yeah, 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 yeah. All with all with Midway. But then Mortal Kombat 3 happened and things just blew up. Uh, Sonya became an icon. So what has it been like for you in general, I guess, to be a part of this phenomena still going on today? New Mortal Kombat movie coming out. Sonya is still in all the games. And uh, what did you think of the way the depiction of Sonya affected people, the influence you had on the culture in general? Well, I think it inspired a lot of people, especially little girls. Um, there's this strong woman that didn't take any crap from anybody and got the job done. And a lot of times better than the guys did. So she was very inspirational to kids and adults and women, girls, you know, anybody that was in the military or looking to get into the military or looking to get into karate or anything, any kind of like self-discipline. She just put a fire under their butt. So I looked up to her too. <laughs> <laughs> well, you brought that. I mean, your depiction of the character brought all of that. Again, the character was great in Mortal Kombat 1, but the character really took off with the athleticism, the energy, the attitude that you brought. Were there any alternate outfits for Sonya that you remember for Mortal Kombat 3? No. John drew a picture and gave it to the costume person, and she... Nailed it to the T. Huh. At the original picture, he's like, "This is this is Sonia, the new character, Sonia." He wanted to really change her for the third one, you know, because she was gone in the second, and mm -hmm. they had some problems <clears throat> on the first. So, uh, third one, he just wanted a huge change. So we just mimicked whatever was in that photo that he came up with. Ah, just like that. Amazing. The streamlined process. She always struck me as a little bit in Mortal Kombat Three as a little bit more Sarah Connor, which is really cool. And one of the things I've always loved about Mortal Kombat is how it seems to lovingly borrow from, pay tribute to some real icons in Hollywood. It's got some Big Trouble in Little China influence, Terminator influence. And they also, Midway, worked on the Terminator games. So yeah, it all sort of 
connects. And the thing, of course, that made the games amazing to me was that it was real people that I was playing as. I got to feel like I was really starring in one of these action movies. And then Mortal Kombat 4 came out and went with polygon-based graphics. And sorry to at all uh, be negative about the legacy, but to me, that was a massive downgrade. I wanted the real Sonya back instead I got the It was a huge difference going from three to four. I mean, four was just like, hey, put this costume on and, and we're gonna take some pictures of you. And then we're gonna peel you off and put you onto this model. And so things were a lot different. I didn't get to do the moves and, and all that stuff. So not as exciting. <laughs> you were So you were still involved with Mortal Kombat 4, but because it was Polygon, did they do motion capture with you still? Or how did that um, work? Just a little bit, just a little bit. Most of it was, I just modeled it, modeled uh-huh. the costume. And, but the conventions and the promo stuff after that was fun. You know, I still got to put on the costume and, and go to E3 and, and that kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, all right. That's great to hear. So you felt like it was downgrades too strong of a term, but it was disappointing to hear that they weren't going with the real digitized actors for Mortal Kombat. I think any employee really hates it when technology takes over, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that robots doing your work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is um, a very relatable point. And if I remember correctly, you also played the villain. They got you back for one more full motion video game where you got to play the villain in one of the Sub-Zero spinoff games. Yeah. That was fun. Kia, that's right. That was really awesome to see. And I, was that the last time you were in a Mortal Kombat game? I think so, because I remember doing Kia. I was like three months pregnant with twins. And I had to like okay. fix a costume so you can see my belly. And they had to shoot tight at times and sucking it as hard as I could. Okay. <laughs> I even that... did a convention as, as Kia. And guys didn't even know that I had a belly under there. I just it had that leather outfit on. And, you know, my boobs were freaking huge because I was pregnant with twins. So I think that's all they looked at and they just didn't notice the belly under. <laughs> it's convenient. Wow. I don't know if you've already talked about that before, but that no, is some, <laughs> that is okay. In my research, did you say with twins? Right. Amazing stuff. Never look at Kia the same way again. Now I'm like rooting for her, you know, like through the pregnancy, Kia, can't wait for you. Yeah, congratulations in advance. That's so, pretty amazing. So dragons, you know, <laughs> so you were pregnant with twins in your last role in a game and you pulled it off fantastically you looked great and you in my opinion are even stronger looking today i was on your twitter feed and you were showing your abdominal muscles on there and i was i compared i admit it i got in the mirror and was like who's better me or carrie ann and you are you gonna do a side by side right now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we will edit that in much to the uh my embarrassment anyway and yes surprise surprise you beat me on that one you are buff so i, I mean hard. if i were making a game i would want you in it would you want to be in another fighting game like in the old days absolutely i'm 51 years old and i still have so much to prove <laughs> no no really i i enjoyed him so much i would love to do him again and I feel like I still could. I can still do the flip and all that stuff. So and the punches and. Okay. That would be incredible. I'll talk to some people. You know, I'm a vague acquaintance of Tom Hamilton from Aerosmith. I've only met him oh. once or twice, but he's a friend of a colleague. And I know he wants another Revolution X for sure. The, the band really? is totally. Oh yeah. He talks about how he bonded with his kids over it and similar stuff has probably happened with you. You're definitely, when people know that you want to do it, probably 
going to be getting some phone calls. I hope so. All right. I hope so. <laughs> with, the, with their other than a fighting game, is there any other kind of acting, other kind of game, other kind of role you might want to take on in terms of a performance? I know video games, they were easy to me and I would love to do video games. I mean, that's my legacy and I'd really to stick to that. I don't know if my acting is strong enough for a movie. I'd have to have some training or something like that or somebody on the side, do it like this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Unless they just made me think about my life, then I'd just be crying through the whole movie. So, <laughs> I, I mean, a biopic of your life would be incredible. And yeah, it sounds like video games is where you'd want to stay. It's the world you know. It could be like Titanic. I could just think back of my younger life with all my wrinkles and tell a story. <laughs> you seem wrinkle free. You want me to zoom in? <laughs> <laughs> So another thing you've been doing is you create this incredible artwork, finding out that about you. Actually, my undergrad was in fine art. So whenever I see somebody is willing to sit down in front of a blank canvas of any kind and say, I'm just going to try to put something out there, I immediately feel a kinship with them. And you do that not yeah. only with traditional materials, but you use like geodes and natural materials, trusting in them to create work that you can shape and hone. So I have to ask about that. What drew you to start creating that kind of artwork? Well, I've always had a huge love of nature. I love being outdoors. I love animals. And I grew up on a farm and my brother and I hung out with my brother quite a bit, who's just 13 months younger than me. And we used to just go out and explore and just be mystified by all of God's creations, you know, and we are constantly building stuff together, tree houses and, and just trying to just make use of the materials that we had, you know, cause we, we had no money growing up and my parents divorced when I was like six and my mom remarried a Vietnam vet who had flashbacks all the time. And so we spent a lot of time outside and a lot of time, you know, on our own because my mom just had a lot to deal with, you know? So I think it comes from just a lifetime of that and just having a love to create things and be creative and express yourself. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll be frank. What the heck? You've already done the interview. Maybe you'll tell me you don't want to run it if you don't like it later. But now that I've gotten you to do the interview, I can get real and tell you that when I see somebody like you, I think incredibly athletic. You're, you've got movie star good looks. You've been in video games ever since I was a teenager you think like, well, this person is one of the, the lucky ones, you know, but just because you are in incredible shape and so on doesn't mean your life has been easy. And Books are uh, always deceiving. <laughs> I actually have a good story about that. Yeah. I'd love to hear so, it. Um, when I first had my twins, the first year I did not sleep at all. They were constantly crying. They were having seizures. They weren't eating. They were vomiting eight times a day. Um, they had cerebral palsy and seizure disorders. And the first year it was just, I, I barely even remember that first year because I was just so sleep deprived and stressed and, and just trying to keep them alive. And I had a rose garden outside. And um, there was one day where I was out trimming my roses. I had, you know, five minutes, maybe they were napping or whatever, but I was trimming my roses outside and a woman walked by, she had a carriage and the baby was crying. And I remember hearing it, I remember, you know, but it didn't phase me, you know, I'd rather have that baby, that, that baby who only cries for, you know, five, 10 minutes on a walk than the situation that I was in, because it was just so intense. And she kind of waved at me and said, hello. And then later on, we got to know each other. And she goes, I have to tell you, when I first saw you, 
and I was walking my baby who's able-bodied with no problems. I was so tired and I saw you trimming your roses and I, I thought to myself, oh, must be really nice to have time to trim your roses. And she goes, I had no idea what you were going through at that time. And it's just how you can portray something to somebody, but it's really not what's happening, you mm -hmm. know? And that's why you should just never judge people and never think the worst about them or make stories. And, you know, just, you don't know their story. You don't know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. And to look at someone like me and say, oh yeah, she's got it so easy. Just live with me for a week and <laughs> we'll see how you do. <laughs> Well, yes, very, very well put. And you're someone whom, you know, I think people are going to be wowed by the story that you've been willing to tell us today. And I'm really grateful for it. I'll never see Sonia or Kia the same way again. <laughs> I mean that in the best possible way to find out the real person behind it means so much. Last-ish question, unless you want to talk more, I would talk to you all day, of course, but for your time, did want to ask about this concept of identity. And you played Sonia when you were thinking your mid twenties. And that's a time when you've kind of figured out who you are, but you are still establishing your professional identity and still moving forward. As you look back on your life, I'm sure you look back on who you were in your twenties and we're like, wow, she, she did not become her full self yet. Like you're still growing and improving, evolving. And Sonia was a part of who you later became. So I'm wondering about how the character of Sonia and how just playing video game characters in general has had any sort of influence on your identity, how you think of yourself and who you've become. Um, I think growing up as I did and not having anything and having to fight for everything that I did have. I just, I grew up with a really honest family and I have six sisters and one brother. Some of us are halves and but we are all just as close as if we are, you know, full-blooded brothers and sisters. And growing up, it just, I just, I had to fight for so much that when Sonia came around, I more or less just kind of identified with her. Like, oh, there's a badass chick who uh, doesn't take any shit and just needs to get the job done, you know? And mm -hmm. that's always been my mentality, you know, just keep your feelings out of it, you know, and get the job done. Mm. So, kids these days, I'm going to sound really old right now, but kids these days, they're so wrapped up in their feelings and they want to medicate them and all this stuff. I go through this with my kids now too. And I'm like, you know, it's okay to feel anxiety. Just feel mm. it and move on, mm. you know, validate it and move on. You don't need drugs to stop it. If mm -hmm. you stop it, then it's going to come out sometime other. And you just, unless you really have some mental illness and you sure. suck on that anxiety and then maybe, yeah, you do need medication and therapy and all that stuff. But kids don't like to feel these days and it's okay mm -hmm. to feel, you know, yeah. they're just feelings. They're going to change in 15 minutes. It's going to be different tomorrow. <laughs> Came around. I, I really identified with her and I kind of grew with her. I went through some scary times in my lives where I had stalkers and I didn't know how to fight. That was my inspiration for learning karate and learning how to shoot a gun and self-defense is because I was actually attacked. So Sonia just was just kind of part of me and she felt comfortable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and she still does, you know, now I think she's kind of weak compared to me, but. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, her in her storyline, I think she married Johnny Cage and had a kid and stuff like that. Whereas you've got twins with special needs and you've had real stalkers. So you've had, then you've learned to fight. And then, yeah, I would play the Carrie Ann Hoskins game and watch the movie, read the book 
buy the cereal, get the action figures. I would, I would get it all and I hope it all happens. Anything else you want folks to know before we sign off? I'm actually talking to an author right now about doing a, an autobiography or biography. I'm not sure yet, but he's interested in, in writing it. And I'm like, do I want my story out there? Cause I've done some bad things. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so as every really bad things done to me, do yeah. I want everybody to know all that stuff? I don't know. I mean, it would get really real for me. I don't know. My family, my, my husband, my ex, I don't know. That's just a lot of shit to put out there, right? It is. You're already immortal. You know, you're going to live hopefully another hundred years, but you are going to die someday. So am I. We're older. You're already immortalized in Mortal Kombat. You're already immortalized in various things, your artwork. But to have your story immortalized by somebody that you trust, I was on a reality TV show years and years ago. So I know what it's like to have my actual story broadcast to millions of people. It's pretty weird. But when you know that people out there have seen your true story or is as true as they're going to do in reality TV with the editing and whatnot, and they were touched by it, moved by it, said that it wasn't just in your case, it wouldn't be just Sonia that helped people get up in the morning and feel like, well, if she can do it, so can I. It's Carrie Ann whose story You've already put enough of yourself out there to inspire people. I was reading about you learning how to do marathons. It's actually jogging, thinking about you doing a six, a 26 mile marathon for the first time and your abs. I was like, I need those carry-in abs. I need to jog a little bit harder. Yeah. And I was undiagnosed with this condition that said you cannot do marathons. And then I did four of them. And I think I did like 16 half marathons and I kept on injuring myself. And then finally I get this diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos with autonomia. And my doctor was like, I can't believe you were doing marathons. And I'm like, neither can I. <laughs> I wonder why it sucked so bad. <laughs> I did it anyway. And this is, I read a little about this. There was like, they needed to surgically implant a mesh. Is that right? Or am I, did I read that? Uh, yeah, one? I have mesh in my belly button, in my inguinals. I have my abs sewn together because after I got pregnant, my abs just kind of ripped open. <laughs> okay. So. There's a lot of um, stitches and staples and mesh inside my, my abdomen. Incredible. And that would leave a lot of people on the couch for a long time. I will have a kid over and over, cesarean, whatnot, compared to that surgery where they sewed my ads back together. You cannot do anything. You can't laugh. You can't cough. You can't sneeze. Sneezing kills you. Oh, my God. You can't roll over. You can't sit up. It sucks for weeks. Yeah. Pain, fear, you've channeled it all into productivity. You've felt the emotions and then used them to motivate you to work, to self-improve. I'm just yelling about being a fan of you now. That's got to be a little weird. Uh, But yeah, it's incredibly inspirational stuff. And it just makes me want even more success for you. I'm biased towards underdogs, towards people who have had to fight for what they got. And that's definitely you. So geez, don't know what else to say uh, without just gushing about wanting to buy your book, buy your cereal, buy your video games. And hopefully I'll get the opportunity to do that. I know the Carrie and Austin cereal. Pink rings with uh, (laughs) like, kind of like Lucky Charms. Cause Lucky, I love Lucky Charms. It's Mm. (laughs) gluten-free. Sounds sounds delicious. I was thinking ab-shaped puffs, but. Lucky Charms makes sense too. Can do that too. <laughs> if they can make a space jam too, 
why can't they make a NBA jam revival? That's just you and LeBron blowing kisses forever and ever. NBA jam blowing kisses forever edition. Check it out. Well, that was a slam dunk. <laughs> you were so proud of that. You were waiting to do that. I I think it was an, an incredible slam dunk and a drop kick and all of and, those yeah. jokes we could make that are no good. But we're just so happy that we're high on life and making bad jokes about the fact that Carrie Ann Oskins spent that time with us and told us so much about who she is and how the character of Sonya Blade has affected the trajectory of her life. It is so interesting. So for her, Sonya Blade is a character that she essentially brought to life in the way we know that character to be now. And there's actually a new Mortal Kombat movie that just came out. And have you seen the videos of her doing the work? It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. She is an incredible athlete and an incredible performer. Someone who's willing to commit and put herself out there. And that's exactly what the character of Sonya is. It's like, what is this person doing here in this fighting game? You know, Sonya... It's one of the few big name woman characters in video games for a long time. So pioneering a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But for Carrie Ann, whenever she sees Sonya, she's like, that's me. For a lot of us, when we play video games, we're looking at the other when we're playing it. And how do we integrate that other, that someone who is not us, into who we are? And for our next guest, we have someone who has a very unique, very interesting perspective on that. Someone who is an animal collective. Mm. And their name is Soleil. We're going to kick it over to them to find out a little bit more about their experiences with integrating identity into your video game self and the other way around. Never really listen to Evanescence, but Soleil makes me want to give them a try. She taught me that sometimes it's better to never ask why. So I'm here with Soleil. We've never spoken before. It's all uncharted territory. It's very exciting. And I'm very grateful for you being on. You actually dropped a voicemail for the show. Just earlier today, listened to that episode. And I hadn't realized that that voice clip was going to be put on. So I, it, it came on and I was like, wait a second. Oh, no, don't tell me. Is that my voice? Is that our voice? And it was. <laughs> it was you. You sounded you sounded great. You put yourself out there. We put you in the mailbag segment. And if you do drop us voicemails via the Anchor FM website, then you might end up on the show as you are. So I'm really excited to talk to you. What do you want to talk about today? Well, first of all, yeah, you introduced me. My name is Soleil, um, which might be confusing because the last person said their name is Cat. Collectively, we go by Anco. We are a system of alters. So that means that basically just, you know, it's a real grab bag about who you're actually talking to when you speak to us physically. We try to keep ourselves somewhat uh, distinct online, uh, keep different avatars and stuff, which brings me to the point that I wanted to bring up of character creators and how that has been. You know, that's kind of ableist in a lot of ways, the way that uh, that it gets handled. Hmm. At least at least I feel that way in regards to myself. For a bit of context, I play a lot of Final Fantasy XIV, which is hardly any news to anybody. It's very popular MMO. And in the game, if you decide that you want to change your character's name... Even just their name, it costs like $13, I think. And then if you want to change your appearance, that's also another like $13. 
And so whenever we're creating a character, we have to put a lot of thought into like, okay, how do we best portray everybody all at once? Which sometimes you just can't do. Another game with a much less robust character creator that we recently tried going back to was Dragon Quest VIII. And in that game, you know, you're forced to choose male or female, given like six different haircuts. They're all just the Kiratoriyama haircuts. So, you know, you got the Goku, you got the Vegeta. And for the longest time, we just could not, like we played that game growing up. And then when we came back to it, the very act of trying to create a character just to get into the game was so impenetrable. Ah, Interesting. So what's a good character creator for you, for the collective? Anything that involves, like, you can change it easily. Monster Hunter Rise just came out, and in Monster Hunter World, you were able to change a lot about your appearance at any time. You still can't actively swap your gender whenever you want, but they made it so that you you can change your appearance at any time from the item box. Being able to have access to like, am I feeling facial hair today? Yes or no? Am I feeling this hairstyle, this color scheme? Anything like that, which can be changed really easily, I think is pretty good. Yeah, that makes sense. So will each of your alters end up ideally having their own representation in the game? Sorry if this is a two-part question. I just don't want to forget the (laughs) second part just in case. So when you play a game where you're kind of stuck with one character when there's no creator, do you end up in a situation where one alter really identifies with a a character and maybe another one doesn't? And it's harder to consistently play the game and have the same kind of experience because it's not the same person playing it every time. Well, so you mentioned Yakuza a little bit before we, or at some point Yakuza had come up, I'm pretty sure. And I have friends who just won't play Yakuza because they are at a point where they're like, if a game makes you play as a man, won't do it. Mm -hmm. And I can fully, you know, I, I fully understand that being forced to sit in a male position for hours and hours at a time for like a hundred hour RPG. That makes sense why that would put some people off. But for me, I really like when games just don't give you a character creator and give you a character that has their own personality and some flaws. You can like choose which aspects of them you can relate to and you can look at other aspects and be like, not so much on those. But really for me as a person with DID, it's a little bit like welcoming in another little digital part of myself for a little bit i get to play around with being like well how would kiryu do this and a lot of the times like with yakuza specifically kiryu will tell you how he will feel about Mm this huh so interesting yeah i've thought for years about the strange interplay in a lot of games where you are playing you are the one with agency you're the one in control and then a cutscene happens and the character may have a completely different attitude towards the story towards the characters than you have and you have to sit idly and see what they do even though the they you're watching was you a second ago before the cutscene happened i was solid snake or travis touchdown a lot of people have that disconnect that i've been seeing with hades Mm. because hades doesn't actually address it that much you play as zagreus the whole time zagreus has his own thoughts and feelings and he seems very self-actualized like Mm. everything Mm. he does it feels like it's zagreus's choice and you know maybe if he dies a hundred times that's just because zagreus himself isn't that good 
And they kind of take away the idea that the video game player is who is controlling him. Mm -hmm. But they also leave a bit of that in because it's like, well, then you get to choose who he romances, who he befriends first. So it's a little bit of an odd gray area in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The games like that, to me, they often feel like I'm giving the character who I was playing as and controlling completely when the dialogue options happen and whatnot, then I'm just giving them advice or I'm almost like their subconscious saying, you should do this, you should do that. But then how they do it is totally up to their conscious mind, which was a different person than me. So I mentioned before that we're big buffs of JRPGs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to come in with a pretty surface level take. There's Earthbound, which spoilers for Earthbound, when you get to the last My Sanctuary location, some text scrolls across the screen saying, hey, I am Ness. These are my internal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And they start addressing you, the player, which is a very big mind blowy scene. I don't know if you've ever played the game Contact. I believe it's by Grasshopper Studios. It is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Who I know you're a fan of. Spoilers for that game as well. But <laughs> I believe the game ends with your character, the character you've been controlling the whole time, realizing that he has been your pawn and tries bashing at the screen to get at you. But in the canon of the game, you're some terrible third dimensional being and you just tap on him until he passes out because it, cool. it was a DS game that had that very tactile sense of you were smushing him like a bug. <laughs> That's right. Contact, literally about trying to make contact with the world on the other side of the screen. And it's so fun for me that you would bring those both up at the same time, because <laughs> I was always so amazed that Contact, the Grasshopper game, got away with having a character who's just literally Dr. And Donuts from Earthbound. <laughs> but they've got like a cute little fuzzy dog thing that's slightly different, but it's like the same guy. Anyway, yeah, such interesting points. I wish we had more time to talk. I'm so glad about the points that you made. Is there any closing points you wanted to make before we wrap up? Before we go, I wanted to give a shout out to the redneck Tonberry. Hearing her interviews was what gave me the confidence to just be like, fuck it, I can send a message and get on. I am actually from the South, so hearing a little bit of that, that redneck power in her voice really brought me home. And I wanted to talk about one of my favorite country type characters from an RPG, but I guess that might have to wait for another time or something. Oh, I'm so curious about it. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, we will definitely have you on again. It was such a pleasure. I've got to write your theme songs next. That's exciting. So Lay is one of they, and she likes plenty of video games. One day, we may meet all 12 of her other selves. What a fun day. I don't know if you listeners noticed, but our signature talking to women about video games theme song styles, we write a song, two songs actually, for all of our guests. There was a different singer on one of those. Somebody is pretty spectacular. It was I Tanya. <laughs> Tanya wrote one of the songs for Soleil, and she even, after much conjoling, and I was not, I was like, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I, I really needed to be aggressively positive and cheerleader-ish for Tanya to get on board of that. I was like, that. nope, not, I'm just not going to do it. Last minute. I know. I just, I just fucking did it. Beautiful. I am so happy. Please, folks, if you liked No, Tanya's don't song, even comment on it. This is, you're putting me out there if in a you, way. You're already out there. Oh. So, 
if you liked the song, please let me know, let her know, let someone know. Don't tell me you don't like it. I can't handle that don't kind of criticism. Don't tell her if you don't like it, but if you do like it. <laughs> and if there's no news, that's okay. No news is good news too. But if you did like her song, please let her know. So, moving on now. Please, let's move on. <laughs> to Keep moving on. Our next guest. We talked to Soleil a little bit about how she will play as a video game character who's very different from her. And she will invite that character into her identity a little bit. To invite a new identity into her collective can be fun, can be interesting. But it's not always so fun and interesting for others to have to deal with playing a video game as a character that just doesn't mesh with your sense of self, with your identity. And that's something we talked to our now old friend Gretchen about in her regular Video Games Are Trash segment. Let's kick it over to Gretchen. Video games are trash, but I love them because they're trash. Back again with Gretchen. It's been too long. And Gretchen, I'm on the edge of my seat about what you want to talk about this time. Well, I mean, I haven't played any bad games lately. Oh. I've been playing one game that's very good that's been making me feel bad, but that's it's the opposite of what I... What's <laughs> so the... The game is good, but it makes you feel less than good. Well, yeah, it's too pretty and nice, so, but I'm not going to talk about that. It's That's just depressing because I look outside and I'm like, oh, now it's worse. This is the opposite <laughs> one. I, so I, yes. I went somewhere neutral. I went okay. somewhere neutral after that. And I, I was playing Yakuza. Okay. The, the remake. I have a very complicated relationship with those games and that like genre of Japanese fiction in general. Huh. The lead character, Kazuma Kiryu, he's mm -hmm. very much, uh, apparently Japanese Yakuza really thought that that was a really good depiction of the Yakuza life, obviously cartoonishly, but they thought two things were stupid. His stupid shirt and the fact that he punches people instead of shooting them. Oh, okay. I didn't know the, the Yakuza. I, I believed the hype. I've played those games. And they don't shoot a lot. I've always heard that gun violence and gun crime is less prevalent in Japan than it is in the United States. So I had this kind of... Oh, no, it's tone. it's when you're punching people on the street in that game, that's just cartoonish nonsense. But when they get into the big boss fights and you're in like some big castle thing and fighting some giant guy going... <laughs> that's not... That isn't... <laughs> that's not realistic to the organized crime life in japan yeah that makes no sense. i could go on it makes me miss japan i lived in tokyo for a month or so and huh gotta tell you you'd rather get messed up with the yakuza than the police i avoided both but they'll both beat the crap out of you but uh -huh. the yakuza will just beat the crap out of you and then you can never go back to an area of the city again whereas the police will beat the crap out of you detain you for two weeks make you sign a confession that you don't understand because you haven't slept for five days and then kick you out of the country forever Wow, I'm learning so, so much. It just made me like, again, I have complicated feelings about Japan as well. But I'm playing those games and I see all of like, it's Tokyo, it's Tokyo. Yeah. And the food products that you can get, their Suntory beverage products, ah. that's what actually bought. You can get Boss Coffee. I love mm -hmm. Boss Canned Coffee. I, I can't drink anymore. I, alcohol and me don't mix. So mm -hmm. you can get the Suntory, the premium malts. That was my favorite beer. Mm -hmm. uh, before I realized that, you know, waking up in strange places probably means you shouldn't drink. And got, did you speak the language? Did you speak Japanese? Oh, yeah, I can speak Japanese. I That's don't want to show off right now because, frankly, it's an English language podcast. It's just pretentious. But here's the other thing. That's all great. It's just bittersweet. Mm. You have to play 
as that character. Now, again, I have a strange relationship to that sort of media. I really have this weird, it's like liking Westerns, even though Westerns are kind of inherently revisionist in a very problematic way. If you met a realistic Western, it would be very boring or incredibly offensive because, (sighs) well, it would be offensive to like a human. (laughs) Yeah, because those people did some bad stuff in the Old West. Nothing was good, but this it's this cartoonish version of hyper masculinity mm. and i don't identify with that but for some reason the way they romanticize it this thug life like the bikers and the people with big pompadours just punching each other for no reason there's so much manga like that like high schools fighting each other for no reason mm-hmm. and for some reason it's compelling to me nothing there is good i have problem with me at that point now i come out out of the game and i look and i'm like oh i have a great life and i'm a decent person instead of this poopy face man with a just squinched in face in his triangle body (laughs) it's really sticking to him you know a lot of people are very attracted to him and a lot of people want to attracted to a man then that means he's about 25 men distilled into (laughs) a triangle so if you if you were attracted to men, he'd be a lot of man in one cup. It's true. And they also, a lot of people feel like, well, he's a little bit of a nerd, but he made being a nerd cool. And that's a lot of the things I think are interesting about where the Yakuza series lives in the United States. If you want to play the cool crime game, it's always rock stars, Tarantino-esque, ultra-violent, yeah. killing, running people over... And they're not nerds. They Rockstar has never embraced making a game about a nerd. Whereas the Yakuza games, they're a little bit nerdy. They go to arcades. They they talk to guys in diapers. They dance around sometimes. And Hiro gets really soft and ends up like running an orphanage. Spoilers for folks who haven't played that yet. He's sort of a... So that stuff is realistic to Yakuza because they're people. Yeah. How do you avoid the cops in your rich Yakuza retirement? Well, you just do something really nice and make it real hard for them to get away with arresting you. Wow. I didn't know you are so knowledgeable. So a lot actually become monks too. Really? Yeah. Same reason. It's just like, well, you know, go arrest the monk and then like, it's just, they're dressed like that. And then there's a picture on the news. Yeah. Arrested the, and then that cop is ashamed. It's a dishonorable thing to arrest. It's so interesting. So, for a lot of folks, it's a more palatable way to engage in ultra-masculinity to play Yakuza or one of my favorite series is the No More Heroes series that's, I think, similar to Yakuza and that it's about a, a, a guy who's frowny and swears and tries to be tough, but deep down he's sort of soft and, and nerd. And that makes him more relatable and almost easier to digest because you can make fun of him in your head a little bit too. I'm sure that there's so much intentionally hilarious about Kazuma Kiryu. He's about half as emotive as Vin Diesel. Because it's just like, somebody gets shot in front of him and just goes, what's up? And that's it. That's one of his friends gets shot. And he just says their name calmly, very close to them. 
funny. (laughs) Or then, like, the most angry I can think of him being is, like, some kids are beating up a puppy. Talk about the save the cat moment. That's a screenwriting thing. You have to establish that he's the good guy in front of a child. He saves a puppy Mm -hmm. from teenagers. So then he just looks at them, and the angriest he ever gets is looking at them and going, And, like, it's ridiculous he squints slightly harder which i don't know how he managed to do that without exploding yeah he always looks almost as as, um that first game with the bullet time the what's his oh bex pain yeah Mm -hmm. he squints like slightly harder not quite (laughs) as hard as the first max pain who seemed to be imploding fully inward like when you into his brother too many times in a dark souls game yeah, it is uh, the impossibly cool face masculine guy. And that idea of cool, you know, I've given it a ton of thought because as long as I can remember, people have told me I am not cool. I, of course, took that as an insult and doing things wrong. But after too much thinking about it, probably I came to the conclusion that the opposite of cool is warm and emotive, expressive showing how you feel for, for that's adorable Jonathan. oh that's <laughs> kind of you to say and i think i'm fairly warm i like to be i'd rather be warm than cool and in <laughs> you're so sweet Gretchen. thank you so in japan there's this archetype the galago 13 the ken from fist of the north star the all the those boys manga characters who never show feeling and they're so cold, they're as cold as ice. And they'll, uh, Galago 13, I don't know if you've seen that, he's having sex with like multiple people and killing people. And he never even opens his mouth. He's like permanently frowning <laughs> during every emotional experience he can have. And it would be such a power fantasy to have that much control over your emotions because when life is hard and your emotions take over, it can be really scary to not have control over how you feel. And those guys never never feel a damn thing you know it's very... i think the thing that i can probably the one thing i can personally identify with kazuma kiryu on a certain level it's something i'm getting over is he doesn't have control over his emotions hmm. he has them but he can't express them through his wooden face and triangle body he can express punches to show his kindness he hits a door really hard once. There's a gif of that. He's smacking stuff so incredibly hard. You're right. That is his emotional vocabulary is punches and kicks. That's as diverse as it gets. And the hair. Every man of men has this slicked back greaser hair. In media, in real life, I don't know that I've seen that outside of search Yogi Park Biker. Okay. It's hilarious. Or Yogi Park Rockabilly Dancers. It's just dudes in crazy leather with pompadours three inches in front of their head, break dancing to rockabilly music, then drinking and flinging beer cans around. It's amazing. I've seen it in person. Yogi rockabilly? Yes. I will check it out. I I look forward to it. But there's this air of menace about them, Mm. which is not the way people are portrayed. Well, not they are portrayed that way, but everyone else is an air of menace about them in those manga because they're never around normal people. Unless right. when Cosmo's around the normal people, he's nice to them. He doesn't right. act any differently, but he's probably the most laconic, non-silent protagonist. He says so little. Other people say exposition and he agrees or disagrees or will often just say someone's name or just some vague acknowledgement of something. Mm. Yeah. 
I'm trying to do it. Is it just like <laughs> what, what would cure is it? It's just a name and then like some meaningless attachment. I, I don't want to get into linguistic stuff. We'd be Tempted. here for six hours if I could sit and start talking about linguistics. It would be interesting. One of these days. I can't fully get on board with that emotionally or as a person because there's also an inherent misogyny to mm. that whole hyper-masculine world. Because even when he's helping people, he's the white knight. He's the only one who can save the woman who's in distress from the other bad man of men, men. Like the, the sweaty version, the sweaty, often bald version. Bald bad guys. Yes, yep. a real oh, trope. Yeah. The ones who frown loudly. <laughs> and they're, yeah, the, the bad guys, if I remember correctly, in that series are often much more emotive. With like, Oh, yeah evil laughter and stuff like that but they are at least showing some feelings but i am i do want to boil it down to what interests you what draws you to these games and how they make you feel about yourself and who you are what draws me to them yeah i think probably for the same reason that some people like read extremely out there science like for the same reasons i read the dune books where I cannot possibly comprehend this from a personal level. So it's just kind of intellectual and emotional because it's very human, but also incredibly detached from reality. I think that's what that is. Yeah. Because I can't relate to it. I can't relate to this, but there's something fascinating about it. No one can relate to Paul Atreides. And if they think they can, they're probably a sociopath because Paul Atreides is a bizarre monster. I'm not familiar with Paul Atreides. He's the main character of the first Dune book. I'm not spoiling anything because the first Dune book, the first one, the villains in that are garbage. Content warning, everything about the villains and all of them, all the content warnings. Really? Um, But they're completely unnecessary because... That book isn't about people. It's about ecology and huge political forces. Like entire planets are characters. The humans are like weapons and fingers or something. I don't know. Sounds... But again, how do you relate to an entire planet being a character? <laughs> how do you relate to a triangle man with a poopy face just <laughs> punching? I get to, it's not a person. He's a force. So is it like a intellectual challenge to try to relate? Because you keep going back to it and you do, as I know you, sometimes have kind of an enjoyable conflict with your relationship with a game. It's part of the premise of your recurring segment on the show. So are you fighting with your relationship with the series as you're fighting in the series? Probably. I mean, I think that's a pretty good analysis. You mentioned that you used to be a therapist and I think it's showing. Oh, for sure. And I I just watched a Western series called Godless and Mm. it was thoroughly unpleasant and it was really, really good. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. It is a real strength to be able to have these contentious relationships with your media and find what you like about them in the face of all the stuff you hated about it it's really something if i just like something i'm just gonna get bored of it you know friction creates heat and heat keeps things alive I mean, I like marshmallows but if i eat like six of them in a row it's like ugh. you can't even taste ugh. it yeah it's just gummy mouth it's just gummy mouth well i think i understand it i'm gonna recap it just for the heck of it and who knows what'll happen with that but you don't like kazuma you don't like that world but you miss japan And when you leave that world, you can be like, what a bunch of knuckleheads. 
I'm glad I don't know those guys in real life. And I like me and my life pretty good compared to that punchy, ugly world in a beautiful Tokyo setting. Is that right? That pretty much sums it up. Oh, thank goodness. Although I sometimes do wish I could do some of those side quests in real life. Actually, no, I don't. I used to live that life. I, I woke up on a bookshelf once. In, in Tokyo? No, I think that was in my bedroom. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> I don't know what that side quest was, but um, I think, I guess I woke up in Markarth. That is more than I've ever done. And I'm uh, grateful to have heard about it. I can't even fit on a bookshelf. I don't know. I was curled up very small. I don't know how I fell asleep. All of the books were stacked very neatly around me. People are trash, but I love them because they are trash. Gretchen, so torn, so conflicted, loves Yakuza, loves the spirit of familiarizing yourself with Tokyo, just being in that space, but trapped being that ultra-masculine dude, Kiryu, who, I think in our very last episode, Kaiju, loves Kiryu lusts after Kiryu, enjoys Kiryu so much. Doesn't think of Kiryu as a triangle body. (laughs) No, that never came up. That never came up. But if you are not attracted to triangle body people, you could just kind of dismiss them as a triangle shaped thing and want to move them along. And one of the things that was really interesting to me in that conversation with Gretchen is how the shape of Kiryu affected her so much. And it's funny, just a couple of days later, Gretchen emailed me and said, Check out the shape of this. You know what she was sending me? What? She was sending me bulge pics. What? She was sending me bulge comparison pics. Oh my God. In my my work email. No. No. Opening up the email. I think the title of the email was something like, another interesting point. I was like, this could be anything. It was just close-ups on bulges. There's this game called Near Replicant. I believe it was just called Near. Directed, written by Yoko Taro. Levy directed it. Who... Tonberry is a huge fan of, talks about Yoko Taro a lot. This Nier game was one of the first games to feature a main character who is intersex. And I haven't played the game, so I'm pretty sure I have that right. But one of the main characters is intersex, and they are a femme, you could say. They present as feminine in a lot of stereotypical ways. But if you get a close look at that bulge, yeah, they've got something. They reduced their bulge size for a recent remake. And that's why what, would you do that? Why would you? That's a great question. How much does the bulge affect your enjoyment or lack thereof of a video game? They're still bulge. Maybe they're transitioning. <laughs> that's a good, Slowly, I, play the game I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe they're better with their taping technique. I don't know. The people grow and change. <laughs> I would love to see if it's addressed in the game, but there is controversy about it. The question is, are they trying to make this character less coded as intersex? Or, like you're saying, are they just moving forward with their transition in a way that is actually comfortable and good for the character? I'd have to play it to find out. You know, it's funny. We were talking about the Earthbound series earlier. There's a third game in the Earthbound series, Mother 3. Yeah. That I don't think is ever coming out here. I've talked to people who at one time worked at Nintendo, and they said that game is never coming out here. In part because there's intersex characters. There are these characters called the Mad Gypsies, if I'm pronouncing that right. I, I believe they use she, her pronouns, but they've got stubble. They're coded as masculine in, in some ways. And Nintendo's like, we're not touching that with a 10-foot pole. 
we don't want anything to do with any of the controversy of either offending the trans community, offending the non-binary intersex community, or offending people who discriminate against all those communities. We don't want to touch it at all. So the fact that there is a game near where there's an intersex character, that they remade it. They brought it back out again. They have hope for it to do well, and the character is still intersex as far as I understand. That, to me, is still kind of a win overall for yeah. the direction that things can go in in terms of inclusivity and diversity in video game protagonists. Speaking of video game protagonists, <laughs> the worst. Our favorite Yeah, I had such, a, it's such an easy transition yeah. I could have done because so both good. Gretchen and Tonberry talked about Yakuza. I could have just said Gretchen talked about Yakuza, also Tonberry talked about Yakuza, but I didn't. I brought up Bulges instead. Yeah, you I sure did. I to you got to go there every time. <laughs> just want to pack as much in to the show as I can. <laughs> Bulging with content. Oh, show. no, no, no. I know. No. Terrible. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, as Gretchen dislikes the Kiryu character in a lot of ways, Tonberry loves the lead in the new Yakuza game, and she's going to tell us a little bit about it. What's your grudge? I want to hear about it. Tell me about that grudge. Back again with the one and only redneck Tonberry. Can't wait to hear what you're going to talk about this time. Is it a grudge? Is it something else? Is your grudge going to be against grudges? Are you going to mess with me? Are you going to play with my heart? I can't wait to find out. What, what do you want to talk about, Tom Barry? I put on some makeup. I turn on the eight track. I'm pulling the wig down from the shelf. Suddenly, I'm Miss Beehive 1963 until I wake up and I turn back to myself. Hedwig and the Angry Inch, 2003 or 2001, or one of them. It's a musical. It's a musical, damn it. It is. It's uh, a, a storied musical in the queer community. Uh, some people love it, some people don't. If I remember correctly, it's about someone whose penis was cut to the point where it was an inch long, and they were angry about it, and that's the angry inch. Yeah, I think it's the first lyrics of the song is my sex change operation got botched, because it was like sort of a back alley surgery type of deal, but I was just thinking about those lyrics. Because mm. between you and me, I hate that fucking movie, but I love <laughs> that song. You know it well for, for a movie you hate. Well, I like the song. Mm -hmm. You know, I like a lot of songs from musicals I can't stand. There's a couple songs from Rent that I like. Mm. Me watching that goddamn thing ever again. That's uh, it. Rent has not aged well, in my my opinion. But yeah, some of the songs are still pretty good. So yeah, that's a song about becoming somebody else. You're a Tonberry. Mm. You, do you play video games? Do you listen to music? Do you do anything to become somebody else? Well, here's the thing about that. Yeah. There's never been a video game where you get to be a Tonberry. It just doesn't happen. That's right. It doesn't happen. So Tonberries by default are not exactly known for our empathy, but I had to learn it if I was ever going to enjoy veggie games at all. And so <laughs> lately, mm -hmm. I've been thinking about that. I've been thinking about how, you know, you really got to empathize with somebody, mm -hmm. even if they don't actually exist, in I order to fully appreciate a veggie games narrative. And I think maybe that's why so many people would rather play you know, your Call of Duties or your Halos or, you know, your competitive shooting games mm. because they don't have to struggle with that empathy. But lately I've been playing a video game that has brought me to empathize 
without me having to try with just the most unlikely hero I have seen in some time. Really? Yeah, I've been playing this here game called Yakuza Dragon. And the main character of that game is the biggest dork that I've seen in a video game since I played No More Heroes. Seriously, the, the guy from Shadows of the Damned isn't as big of a dork as the guy from Yakuza Like a Dragon. Ichiban, that's his name, Ichiban Kasuga. Mm, Ichiban Kasuga. He's got big hair, which is not common in Japan, as far as I know. It's, yeah, it's they, all- they fucked it up. That's how it goes in the story. The lady fucked up his haircut. Really? That is not something you see often, particularly in games about criminals, about the tough guys. I mean, he's a tough guy insofar as he can take a lot of punching him in the face but like i don't know he's excitable and he's silly and he's really really emotional you know you mm. see him cry and laugh and i gotta say you know it's rare that i because you know i mean i'm i'm used to final fantasy where the characters and the stories are very mythic mm. very mm. overblown so it's rare that i see a character in a video game that i want to just be friends with, pal around with, but Ichiban scratches that itch. Oh, that's awesome. So it is so not so much a grudge right now. Nah, I'm in too good of a mood. (laughs) That's great. Also, because my mama made Frito pie and I can't get pissed off when Frito pie is involved. Corn chip and pie together, salty and sweet. It couldn't be much better than that. Corn corn chips and it's a savory dish. Mm. More, it's more Texas than Alabama, but it bleeds out. You get your corn chips, you get your chili in a can, and cheese, and you just kind of mix that together. You can layer it if you want. Hmm. Um, sometimes what people do is they get the bag of Fritos, and then they cut it open along the side. Oh. And just pour the cheese and the chili in there and, and eat it out the bag. That's not a pie. That's just a bag of cheese and chili and some chips. Am I being classist? No, not really. You're right. It's not a pie. You can make it one. You can make it in like a pie dish. But even then, I think it's still more a casserole. Yeah, that's been off discussed. You are just in a great mood. Yeah, I'm too happy. I'm too happy. And I think that I think that getting out of my own head and into the head of such a, I mean, Ichiban Kasuga is a man who's spent a lot of his life having life just kick the shit out of him. You know, he goes to jail for a crime he doesn't commit for like 20 years. Whoa. So that's where he was during the the other Yakuza games. Is that right? Yeah. And then he comes out of jail and he's in his 40s and the whole world has changed. Like imagine not really being in touch with society at all from the years of 2000 to 2019. Wow. Yeah. Mighty. Like someone hands him a smartphone and he's just like fuck is this a lot to figure those out too to be fair yeah they are complicated especially the first time and they they evolved but he wasn't there for that evolution he was just thrown in like how you are thrown into the world of human beings that outsider story is something i could see why you would relate with it yeah exactly and and you know he's just driven by a desire to do the right thing by people who done good by him Hmm. and i can relate to that too i can relate to that too because i just i don't know once me and my cousin Jeb and my mama realized that you can't just go around stabbing people here without everybody getting all weird about it, they get all indignant. It's like, what, what do you expect us to do? Your Tonberries. That's all I've ever seen a Tonberry do in the video games that I've played. Exactly. Stab. You, yeah. you stab. I mean, I guess some of us do other things. 
Depends on which one you play. Sure, yeah. Something worth exploring and you don't want to paint with a broad brush, but it's true that stabbing is definitely a part of it every time. As far as every time. Every time. And now instead you're empathizing. You've put away the knife and you're empathizing with Ichiban and trying to just live right. Live a good life with your pie. In a world that doesn't make any sense. Mm. But you know, I think he's helping me understand that that's okay. It's all right that the world doesn't make any sense. There's still adventure mm. and there's still cool things to experience. And you don't have to stab people to do it. Because Ichiban doesn't. He doesn't stab anybody. Wow, he's in the Japanese mafia and he still doesn't stab. What, what it sounds like is the opposite of a grudge. What do you think the opposite of a grudge is? What's the right word for that? Gratitude. Wow. I'm just happy. I'm I'm happy and I'm thankful for this game about the biggest dork in Japan learning what a smartphone is and applying his own Japanese role-playing game frame of mind to the world around him to, I, I guess you could call it success. Mm. I'd like to think I'm doing okay. You're doing great. And I have an immense amount of gratitude towards you. I think this you've done like 12 episodes of this show at this point. With no money, neither of us are getting paid. And it's not easy. It takes a little thinking, takes a little doing, takes a little risk taking. And you're still here. I'm really I'm feeling I gratitude towards you. I do it because it's fun. And I may give you shit from time to time. But I'm grateful for you too, Jonathan. Oh, gosh. There's no punchline for this one, folks. We just like each other. That's it. That's the story. (laughs) There. There's your punchline. Now piss off. I gotta eat these potato chips. She told us about her grudge. Now let's get back to the show. Thanks, Tonberry. Tonberry with no grudge? Tonberry just in pure love. Do we even know you anymore? (laughs) Tonberry sharing recipes. I know, just completely high on life and inviting us all in to her identity, her life experience, and inviting this troubled Yakuza character, total nerd, with sort of a, almost like an afro. Yeah. I identified with this character's hair because I used to have hair like that when I was younger. Inviting him into her world as well. Just a wonderful way to end the show. Can't we all decide to invite each other into each other's worlds a little bit more sure you got to play it safe sometimes you got to be a little bit cautious but can't we cautiously try to identify with with each each other other. (laughs) a little bit more i think that we can we have a hugely diverse cast of guests on this episode and i'd like to think that they all listened to this episode just to see how they sounded and all hopefully identified with each other just a little bit that is my hope and my hope for you as a listener, that when you listen to all of us talk on the show, you get a little bit of an idea of who we are and, and maybe feel like you can add that to who you are, too. So now <laughs> I'm going to start plugging my other things because that's a nice So excuse. important, yeah. It's really just so we can let that we great music play. We can have that, like, play. that leverage, yeah, like just kind of like let it slide out. Yeah. Just kind of ramble nice. on a little bit, talk about life. Exactly. Things you're doing. It's because I like that music so much. I know, the music is really I didn't good. do that music, by the way. Uh, somebody else did. I have an announcement. What's that? There is some Talking to Women About Video Games merch happening. Oh, that's right. It's on, your On Zazzle. Face? Yep. That's something we can plug. <laughs> One of our listeners, and I can't pronounce his Twitter handle, but I'll put a link to this in the show notes. I'll put it in the SoundCloud and the 
iTunes and all that, you can get a shirt. It's our first merch. It's our first merch, and we're not getting any money from it. I'm going to buy a couple of these shirts, though, uh, to give one to Tanya and to wear one myself. It's me as a moth, because, typical me, I spelled my own name wrong in the description of the last episode. I called myself Jonathan. So it's kind of like Mothra. And he said, why don't I make you a moth? So he did. And that's a t-shirt. It's the very first merch of this show. And hopefully it's not so the last. Good. If yep. you make merch about this show, we will help you sell it. And you keep all that Oh my that gosh, that would be yourself. great. I'm looking for a redneck Tom Berry shirt. Like some sort of a sweet tank with like a Frito <laughs> pie, some sweet tea. I think it would sell great. I've got other things. I've got the Nintendo Force magazine. I've got the Worst Song on Earth podcast. Seems to be on a hiatus. We recorded some. They haven't been uploaded yet. I don't know what they're doing. That's okay. I'm keeping an eye out for yeah, it. Yeah, there's things happening in yeah, life. Yeah, tons of stuff happening. And also, Boston's favorite son could come back in any second now. We just recorded an episode about ants. Oh. So listen to that. All yeah. right. Yeah, it's about my ass, though. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's usually that's what happens. Hot topic in that show. <laughs> I guess so. Anything you wanted to plug, Tanya? I've been taking my pole dance classes <laughs> four times a week, keeping it going. I hope you have a pole dance, something for people to see or hear one of these days. Podcast, instructional video. Oh, I would not venture into the instructional video mode because I suck. <laughs> I am still a beginner. There are some things I'm good at. You're the, I've seen you do it, and it's great dancing. So Thank I, you. I, I appreciate that. I would love to learn how to pole dance from you if I were not a coward and very weak. <laughs> You're not weak. <laughs> In my own way, I But this sense. ending is getting kind of weak. Yeah. We we're should gonna probably wrap, wrap it up. It up. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Take care. Bye.